Well, we're just about ready to go. Thank you for coming tonight. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first nine verses this evening. I'm going to read the text, then we'll have a word of prayer. So Malachi 2.1 says, And now this commandment is for you, O priests. So this is really aimed at the priests, the ministers. This is a hard-hitting text to ministers. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you're not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse, or dung, on your faces, the refuse of your feast, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, That my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence, so he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, And men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in instruction. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your inspired word and for the people who are here tonight to partake of it. Lord, this is certainly a passage that you want us to know. You've inspired it, and I pray that you would allow the Spirit of God to work with this text tonight in light of our own individual lives, and we will thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. People join most churches for a lot of different reasons. Some people say, well, I like the feeling I get when I go there. Others say, I like the friends that I have there. I like the family there. Of course, we know we're living in a time when many say, I like the music. Uh, A lot of people go there because of that. I like the programs. I like the entertainment. Rarely, rarely do you hear, I like the fact that this is a place that carefully teaches the Word of God. Now, we are blessed in this church because the vast majority of people who are in this church, are here for that reason. But the vast majority of churches in the land are not churches that are given to that, and they don't have people who say that. There are not too many churches that actually make a careful analysis of the Scriptures their priority, and they're not carefully studying the Word of God to do so. There is a statement made in James 3.1 concerning leaders James says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing as such we will incur a stricter judgment. I mean, what that tells us is ministers are heading to very serious judgment, and they better be very serious about teaching. One thing is for sure, ministers don't want to get sloppy when it comes to handling the Word of God. Leaders don't want to get sloppy when it comes to studying to rightly divide the Scriptures. There is a serious judgment on the line And that judgment and warning better be taken very seriously. Now, the people who were responsible for leading and teaching and instructing the people in Malachi's day were these priests, and they, quite honestly, were a disaster. They are a big part of the reason why God stopped speaking to the nation Israel. Religious services 
had become a joke and frankly should have been shut down, but they weren't. Now, these leaders that were at the temple back in Malachi's, they were making a good living, but they weren't concerned with the accurate communication of the truth of God. We know the leadership was pathetic because when Jesus Christ did finally come some 400 plus years later and showed up in Jerusalem, it was this team of leaders and their offspring that despised and rejected him. What we see when we go through this text of scripture is God gives his priests specific commands and warnings and instructions concerning what they were doing and what they were not doing, and he shows them that they're responsible for God cursing his own people. Now, we learn from verse 1 that the primary target of this is aimed straight at the priests. These are the priests who had a responsibility to lead people into true worship and to life based on the revealed word of God. That was their job. Their job was you take the word of God and you lead the people of God that direction. They weren't doing it. It was their responsibility to study the scriptures. It was their responsibility to communicate the scriptures. It was their responsibility to examine the offerings and sacrifices to see to it that they met the divine code that God had given in his word. It was their responsibility to point people and instruct people in the true ways of God. That was their job. We also saw when we went through the book of Deuteronomy that part of the responsibility of the priest was in tough cases between people, it was their job to think through all biblical data and pronounce a judgment. That was the responsibility of the priest. The problem with these priests is that their hearts weren't right. In fact, that becomes pretty obvious in verse 2. So the first thing we learn from verse 2 is what's wrong with these priests is a heart issue. They had plenty of religion. They had religious formalism. They had services. I mean, they had a lot of worship services. But the problem was their hearts weren't right with the Lord. What that tells us is a minister could be a minister of a church, could be a leader of a church, could be a parishioner in a church, and go through the motions and really not have a heart right with the Lord. Now, it is important to grasp the Hebrew word heart, lab or lavab, because when we think of the English word heart, at least when we think of it in terms of something metal, we usually think of emotions. If someone says that really touched my heart, what they typically mean is that really touched my emotions. But the Hebrew word uh, labav is very different. It could refer to the physical organ of the heart, but normally it refers to the center of thought and action that's based on one's mind. In other words, the heart is the place from which knowledge and thoughts and actions and feelings and speech are all derived. As one writer said, it's the command center of a person's life. Now, God demands that his leaders have hearts that are right with him. They need to be working on that, making sure of that. And what's described in this chapter is you have a bunch of leaders whose hearts weren't right with him. And what happened is you had priests and leaders, they're involved in religious rituals. They're at the services. I mean, they're conducting services, but their hearts aren't right with the Lord. So, Malachi, or God, has Malachi address this issue and confront these priests. And I'm going to break down the data for us into five parts that the message, five parts uh, to the message that God has Malachi give to these priests, which are all derived from these verses. First of all, God points out what these priests were not doing. 
There are three specific stated items of things these priests were not doing in verse 2. If you do not listen, if you do not take it to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you're not taking it to heart. What we learn here is that there were a couple of items here that these priests weren't doing. They were not listening to the word of God. That's pretty obvious. You don't listen. They would not take in the word of God and listen to it. They should have been on the front lines of taking in the word of God and listening to what the word of God says because their responsibility is to lead people to do the same thing. But obviously, they were not prayerfully seeking to study the scriptures, to know the scriptures, to apply the scriptures to their own lives. And that's a very serious charge against a priest because verse 6 says that a priest right with the Lord should be after true instructions. These priests weren't after that. And there are serious warnings and consequences that can come to the whole group if a minister is not involved in himself listening to the word of God. I mean, it's not just his problem. It becomes a problem for everyone. The second uh, item on the list is they didn't honor God's name. That's what he said. You're not honoring my name. These were priests who were giving people the impression by what they were wearing and by their religious talk that they honored the Lord when they didn't honor the Lord. In their own private lives, they didn't honor God. And whether or not a person honors God is an internal heart issue, not an external issue. People can go through all kinds of religious external motions, but that doesn't necessarily prove anything about the heart. Now, the name or the noun that God uses here for himself that he repeats in verse 2, 4, 7, and 8 of this section is Lord of hosts. And that is the Jehovah of hosts, which would indicate that these guys in their hearts were not honoring God as the sovereign God who's in charge of all things in heaven and on earth. So in all reality, they're going to worship services, but they're not giving God the level of exaltation that he should have. They were not even honoring his name at the level that they should honor it. The third item on the list is they were not keeping the ways of the Lord. We get that from verse 9, just as you are not keeping my ways. God expects his leaders to be concerned with obeying the word of God. He expects leaders to be carefully going through the scriptures and obeying the word of God in the privacy of their own lives. If they're not doing that, if they're not carefully given to understanding the word of God and applying it to their lives, then what's happening at worship services is nothing but a big show. It's a big religious show and production. And God said, I have seen that and I am sick of that. So then, after he points out what the priests were not doing, he points out what the priests were doing. And there are four realities that he mentions they're not good. They're showing up in verses 8 and 9. Uh, reality number one, you've turned aside from God's ways. That's what he says in verse 8. But as for you, you've turned aside from the way. God expects his leader to take the word of God and then apply it. And rather than having a life and ministry that walked with the Lord, they were turning away from the ways of God. They were turning away from the word of God, the things that they'd been taught. You know, when I went to school and got under Mr. Miles, we're talking in the 79 and 80 uh, era, 1979, 1980, 
I remember sitting in those doctrine classes, and I remember sitting in especially some of those Bible book classes, and I would just be sitting there going, I've never heard this. I've been going to church, I've never heard this. And I'm thinking to myself, why haven't I heard this? I mean, here are these books of the Bible with all of this information in it, and we go to church every Sunday, every Sunday, we're going through church, and I've never heard this. Well, the reason why I never heard it is because there weren't ministers in the pulpit that were doing this. What we actually had are ministers in the pulpit who were not carefully examining texts to expound them for the people. They were given over to presenting their own ideas. Now, they'd use Bible verses to do it. But they would pick a verse and then go off and talk about this and pick it. I mean, that's what I thought church was until I got into a school that said, here's the way you handle doctrine. Here's the way you handle the word of God. So what has happened here in the vast majority of places is ministers have turned aside from that idea. Now, nah, we can come up with something a little more novel than just uh, carefully studying and teaching the scriptures, just like these Old Testament priests, they turned aside from God's ways. The second reality is they caused people to stumble by their instruction there in verse 8. You've caused many to stumble by the instruction. It's interesting, the word the instruction, batarah in Hebrew, which would seem to suggest that these guys were actually coming up with ideas that were causing people to stumble away from the instruction of God and away from the word of God and away from the law of God. They were actually telling people things that were causing them to stumble in their relationship with the Lord. I love something Robert Alden in his commentary said to have an ill-prepared minister, an incompetent pastor, a hireling for a shepherd was bad enough, but much worse was it to have a deceiver, a schemer, a wolf in sheep's clothing for a leader. A person who would stand before people and cause them to stumble by their instruction. So they're not even presenting to them the truth. That's what these priests were doing. The third reality is they'd corrupted the covenant of the Levitical priest. Verse 8, you've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Now Levi had a son whose name was Kohath, and Kohath had a son whose name was Amram, and Amram had a son whose name was Aaron. So you have this Levitical lineage of people, and there was a covenant made between God and the Aaronic line to be priests, and this covenant was a legal agreement between two parties, and these guys who were the priests had corrupted that covenant. They were doing things that were so bad in the sight of God, they were ruining their commission. God had made a covenant with the Aaronic line to be priests. It was their responsibility to carry out ministry in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. And there's no greater or worse charge than you could ever have than to say, you've corrupted the word of God. What a charge to be made against a minister or a priest. You've corrupted the word of God. You haven't cut it straight, which is your responsibility. Study to rightly divide it. Study to lay it open straight. For God to make an allegation against these priests that you've corrupted this. You've corrupted the word of God. They were ruining everything in the relationship with the Lord. And then, if that's not enough, they were showing partiality in instruction. Verse 9 says, you're showing at the end of the verse, partiality in instruction. Now that may mean... 
depending on who the crowd was, who they're speaking to, they changed their message to fit the crowd. If they were speaking to the rich and famous, they just wouldn't bring up passages that might rub them the wrong way. They would just bend things the way that they wanted them to go. They may have been partial to certain passages. When they were showing partiality, it could be that they would look at a crowd and say, you know what, let's tell this crowd what they want to hear. That'll make them happy. They'll just keep coming and this will be a great experience for everybody. Let's just tell them what we want to hear. But what they weren't doing was telling them the truth. And when we track the teaching ministry of Jesus Christ, he always taught the truth. It didn't matter who the audience was. And that is exactly the responsibility of a minister. A minister has a responsibility to accurately proclaim the truth of God, and when a minister bends it or changes it because it's not politically correct or because it may be offensive or because... The text may not please the audience or be positive enough to really affect them in a good way. They are showing the same kind of partiality these leaders displayed. And when a minister reaches that level, God does not view that favorably. This passage in Malachi is pretty hard-hitting against people in ministry. A minister's job is not to dodge a text. That's why I'm convinced you have to do systematic exposition of books of the Bible because that's the only way you get it all. You can never be sure if you're not going systematically through a text that you're not the one dreaming up the ideas. But if you're going systematically through a text, you're going, well, I'm just handling what's there. And a minister's job is not to dodge a text. A minister's job is not to modify a passage. A minister's job is not to tweak it. A minister's job is not to bend a passage or even to make a text popular or positive. A minister's responsibility is to show no partiality and accurately expound that passage. And these priests were not doing that. Which brings us to the third part, what God was going to do. Verses 2 to 4 and verse 9. I want you to notice the emphasis of the personal pronoun I. I. Notice how many times it shows up there in verse 2. Then I will send, I will curse, I have cursed. Verse 3, I'm going to do this. I will spread this. I will cause this. God wants these ministers to understand, okay, you haven't honored me in your heart. You aren't serious about me and my word, so I'm going to tell you what I am going to do. And there are six negative actions God says I'm going to take. The first one is I'm going to curse you. I will curse you. Verse 2, I will send the curse upon you. I have cursed them already because you're not taking it to heart. Now, whatever this logistically, specifically means at the moment God tells him, I will curse you, what we know is it's just the opposite of I will bless you. That we know. And in Deuteronomy, we learn that When God starts cursing his people, we went through that in Deuteronomy 28. All kinds of things can go wrong. I mean, coming right out of the hand of God. When we went through the 28th chapter, we cataloged 29 different things that God can do as things that are cursings that he can send. He can curse an actual location. He picked out Sodom and Glory and said, I'm destroying it. He can curse a location. He can curse the food. He can curse a family. He can curse the fields, the flocks, the herds. 
God made it clear in Deuteronomy 28, I can take away income, I can send pestilence, I can send disease, I can send drought that doesn't stop. He made it clear in Deuteronomy 28, I can cause mental instability, physical instability, and I can cause spiritual instability. He also brought out the fact I can stop prosperity and I can stop protection. I can cause everything in a person's life or a nation's life to go bad and nobody can stop it. It was the ministers who were responsible for leading the people into the cursing of God. And don't think God can't do this now because he still can. Move away from God. Move away from the word of God. He can allow anybody's world to collapse fast, fast. So he said, I'm going to curse them. Secondly, I'll curse the blessings. Now that's an interesting statement. He said, I will send a curse upon you, verse 2, and I will curse your blessings. Now what I understand that to mean is I'm going to take away the things I gave you. In other words, I blessed you with things. I gave you a lot of good things in life. But because you're not honoring me and because you're not interested in pleasing me, I'm going to take that all away. I'll curse your blessings that I blessed you with. You know, God is the one who can give jobs and health and happiness, and he's the one who can also take it away. I mean, I was just watching the news of what's going on kind of down there on the west side of Florida, and you've got some people there that build their dream house. I mean, I'm sure when they're putting that dream house up, they're thinking, this is it, boy, this is it. It's what we've been looking for all our life. we got our dream house down here. God said, I can send a hurricane into that area and have it gone in a minute. Think about this right here in this text. God gave Israel land. God gave Israel Jerusalem as her capital. When this text was given, God had given them their temple. It had been rebuilt. Where is it now? Where is it? Why is it that they have to share that property with Arabs? It's like God said, well, I gave you those blessings, but because you're not real serious about me, I guess I'll just take them away. I'll curse your blessings. The third negative action is I'll rebuke your offspring. That's what he says in verse 3. I'm going to rebuke your offspring. Now, God specifically mentioned that in Deuteronomy 28. He said, I will make sure that your priests, your Aaronic children, are not going to amount to anything. And when you think about it tonight, where is that priesthood? Where is it gone? I mean, they're trying to figure it out where it is through some genealogical discovery of science. They're trying to figure it out, but they don't know for sure. Where did the Aaronic line go? I mean, at this point, they were leading worship. Where did it go? Disappeared. The fourth action, I'll degrade you. Verse 3 says, I'm going to spread refuse on your faces and refuse of your feasts, and you'll be taken away. Now, the word refuse, feresh, in Hebrew is a word that speaks of animal dung. And the animal dung was in the context of, let's see, there's no light way to say this, polite way, manure that came out of an animal when the animal was sacrificed 
and what they were supposed to do with that manure that came out of the animal and the excrement was to take it outside of the camp and burn it. God said, I'm going to do that to the priest. I'm going to see to it that you priests are going to be smeared in your faces with refuse and you're going to be taken right out of the city just like dung. You've been offering to me these sloppy offerings and sacrifices. You allow people to come in here and offer me blind and lame animals when I've told you that that's not what is acceptable to me. You priests are responsible for letting that happen. So as a result of that, I'm going to smear your face with dung and you're going to be removed from office. The fifth action is I'll let them know that the negative things are from me. He says in verse 4, then you'll know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I'll tell you this, I want you to understand something. When I do this, my people know it's coming from me. I mean, I really believe when a person's world falls apart as a result of the chastising hand of God, deep down inside, they know it. You have to believe that. That's the whole point of the chastisement. And that's what God's saying here. This isn't going to be something that you're going to wonder, well, who's this coming from? You'll know it's coming from the hand of God because nothing you do is going to be right. And the sixth action is I'll humiliate you before all the people. He says in verse 9, so I have made you despised and abased before all the people. I mean, it is just a shame that Israel does not realize this today. I'm telling you, the religious leaders of Israel have led the nation Israel right out of the blessings of God. And they're still leading them out of the blessings of God. Their own religious leaders have led them away from the blessings of God and basically have led that nation into the cursings of God and they're going to lead that nation dead head on into the tribulation, which will be the worst thing that nation's ever experienced. And I think many ministers are doing the same thing today. They're not leading people in the word of God. They're not leading people in the truth of God. They're not leading people in the will of God. It's a religious game. It's a religious game they're playing. God says, I've had enough of that. Which brings us to the fourth part. God points out how the priests ought to view the covenant of God. Verse 5, now, this is the way that the relationship should be viewed by a minister in the relationship and privilege they have of being a minister for God. There are four ways they ought to view it. First of all, they ought to view this as a covenant of life. My covenant with him was one of life. Levi and the Aaronic priesthood had the responsibility to fear the Lord. They had the responsibility to do what God wanted them to do. And then God said, I will see to it that if you are obeying me, you will have a full, wonderful, blessed life. A covenant with God is supposed to be a life covenant, not a death covenant. When you're in a covenant relationship with God, it's supposed to be a, a wonderful life covenant and not one of death. Ministers have a responsibility to point that out to the people of God. Ministers have a responsibility to point out to the people of God that everything in our life is contingent upon our relationship with God. Everything in our life is contingent upon our relationship to Jesus Christ. He's the key to eternal life. He's the key to an abundant life. He's the key to a full, happy life. 
Everything about our life is contingent upon our relationship with him. And these priests weren't communicating that. Secondly, God's covenant with priests was a covenant of peace. Verse 5, my covenant with him was a covenant of life and peace. God said, when I first, when I first entered into this covenant with the priest, it was a covenant of shalom. And that's the Hebrew word, shalom, peace. It was a peace covenant. The whole thing was right. I was in a peace relationship with these priests. There was nothing negative in the relationship. When this thing first began, things were going right. And everybody was in a right relationship with me. In this dispensation, the minister must teach the doctrine of justification that the key to having a relationship with God, the key to being at peace with God is being justified. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what gives us justification. And then we also have a responsibility to teach people if you want to have peace in your life and tranquility in your life, there needs to be, after justification, a pursuit of sanctification that's based on the word of God. So you're pursuing a life that's consistent with the scriptures and the peace that you have positionally will be peace that you experience practically. That's what ministers are supposed to teach. Thirdly, God's covenant with priests is one that reveres God. Verse 5, so he revered me. Boy, that Hebrew word mora is one that speaks of a deep reverential fear and reverence for the Lord because you just view him as stupendous. Ministers have a responsibility to have this themselves. They need to have a high, lofty, holy view of God. And they have a responsibility to teach the people to fear and reverence God. In fact, there's an interesting verse of scripture in Isaiah 66, verse 2. God says, I will look upon one who humbles himself, who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. The fourth way that God wants a priest to think is God's covenant with priests is one that stands in awe of God. Verse 5, he revered me and stood in awe of my name. That's a different word, hatat in Hebrew. It describes one who fears God, very timid. Not a pushy concept. This speaks of having a grasp of God's sovereignty to the point that you realize this is a sovereign God who actually we stand in awe of. It's kind of like the writer of Hebrews said, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Now that's the kind of attitude people need to have about the Lord. This attitude is an attitude that is totally in awe of the fact that God would have a relationship with people. I mean, this is the kind of attitude David had for God when he said, who are we that you're mindful of us? These priests had a responsibility to you teach the people to stand in awe of me. You teach the people to reverence me. You teach the people to fear me. Ministers have a responsibility to teach people you need to stand in awe of God. Not that he's our big buddy. He doesn't care what we do, who we are, where we go, how we play. He doesn't care. I mean, that's the concept. They're trying to bring God down to people's level, and God says that's not what a priest should do. A priest has a responsibility to raise the level of people to me. I'm awesome God. So then he points out, fifthly, what the people should be doing, what the priest should be doing in verses 6 to 7. And there are seven responsibilities that he names here. 
And he brings out the fact when the Aaronic line first started, these qualities were there. Apparently, Levi and Aaron maintained these qualities, and God never forgot that. And may I say that before we go through the list? If you're a person who purposes to apply these things to your lives, God will never forget that. Never forget that. Because I'm telling you right now, he doesn't see too many people in the world who care about this text. But there are seven responsibilities that Malachi points out to these priests. First of all, they have the responsibility to give true instruction from their mouths. Verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth. Now I want you to notice the point here. You don't give any instruction. You give true instruction from the word of God. It is the minister's responsibility not to just give a bunch of social, psychological junk to people. The minister's responsibility is to give true instruction from the word of God. The job of the minister is not to please the people. The job of the minister is to accurately communicate the truth of God to the people. True instruction. That's the responsibility. Responsibility number two, priests have a responsibility not to communicate unrighteous things from their mouths. Verse 6, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. Woe to the minister who twists the word of God to promote unrighteous things. There are ministers who stand in pulpits and communicate to people that are listening to them things that are not true in accordance with the word of God. Woe to them. Woe to them. They're twisting the scriptures for their own gain. They're not letting it fall straight. And God says, a responsible minister who wants the blessings of God will not communicate unrighteous things through their mouths. Thirdly, priests have a responsibility to walk in a peaceful relationship with the Lord. He walked with me in peace. Ministers have a responsibility to walk with God. Ministers have a responsibility to walk with God. They have a responsibility to be examples to the flock, to submit themselves to the word of God, so they have a peaceful relationship with God, so they can point the people to having a walk with God that will put them in a peaceful relationship with the Lord. That is their responsibility, walk with God. And since every believer is a priest unto God, every believer has a responsibility to walk with God in light of the scriptures. The fourth responsibility is priests have a responsibility to live upright lives and uprightness. God expects and demands that his leaders lead righteous, upright lives that are consistent with his word. That's what he expects. He literally determines whether he'll bless the whole operation or not based upon leaders applying these principles. So if leaders are pursuing upright lives, seeking to walk with God, those are things that cause God to bless the operation, the organization, the nation. The fifth responsibility is priests have a responsibility to turn people away from iniquity. Verse 6 says, he turned many back from iniquity. We're talking here about perverse stuff. God says, I expect my ministers to teach my word and they need to point out sin. They need to point out iniquity. They need to preach against it. They need to teach against it. They need to tell people what to do about it when they've fallen, when they've sinned. It's their responsibility to point out the truth. 
The sixth responsibility is priests have the responsibility to preserve knowledge. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge. I'll tell you what, ministers have a tremendous responsibility to guard the word of God, preserve it. Ministers have a responsibility to keep studying. Ministers have a responsibility to keep preserving knowledge, to keep growing. That's their job. That's their job. If they're not doing that, they shouldn't be in the position because they're hurting the entire operation. Ministers have a responsibility to preserve and protect true doctrine and true knowledge. They need to watch over it, make sure it's guarded. That's the point here of preserving knowledge. And finally, priests have a responsibility to be one from whom others may seek knowledge. Verse 7 says, And men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. I mean, priests have responsibility to realize, look, I better take this stuff seriously. When people are asking questions, you just don't want to give some off-the-cuff answer. I mean... You are going to speak in behalf of God and his word, and therefore what God is telling his priests is you should be very, very careful about carefully studying the scriptures so that you can give careful, true biblical answers because you're my messengers. Now, you can't force people to obey the word of God, but you can tell them what the word of God says. And that's what ministers have responsibilities to do. They have responsibilities to understand what the Word of God says, then lay it out for the people. Now, as we said, every believer is a priest unto God. So if any believer decides, I'm going to walk away from carefully understanding the Word, I'm going to walk away from reverencing God, I'm going to follow my own heart, and my own feelings, God says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you get hit with one negative thing right after another. And the perfect example of God doing that is Israel. Israel. You would have thought this message Malachi gave those priests would have hit them so hard that it said, oh my goodness, my goodness, we need to get back on track. We need to do exactly what that text says. They didn't do it. God shut them down. He shut them down. And when the Lord Jesus Christ finally came 450 years later after this book was written, they didn't like him either, and they killed him. That's the mindset that came from religious people who went to church. Well, that's the nine verses of Malachi chapter 2. Our time is long gone, long gone. But thank you for coming out tonight. Good night. The Lord bless you.